reading is Acts 15, 24 through 29. Since we have heard that certain persons who've gone out from us, though with no instructions from us, have said things, have said things to disturb you and have unsettled your minds, we have decided unanimously to choose representatives and send them to you, along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to impose on you no further burden than these essentials, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, God. to God. The second reading is from Mark ten thirteen through 16. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, let us pray. Holy Spirit, guide our study and our discussion that all our decisions may lead us closer to your Spirit. Amen. Well, we are in week five of our study of the 12 keys to an effective church. And uh, the two keys that we are focusing on today are really not obvious from our readings. So uh, if you were just looking at our readings and wondering, okay, there's this, this uh, advice, this letter apparently that's being sent, and we're not sure what that's about, and uh, Jesus welcoming the children, and we're not sure what that uh, connects to. Well, here's the two keys that we're looking at, and uh, it's okay to look surprised if you want. Uh, so the first key that goes with that letter reading, the first key is a solid decision process. And we'd say, okay, I'm not really sure what to think of that, but we're looking at a decision that's made in the church, but we'll get more to that later. The second one that uh, Jesus welcoming the children is for, can you guess it? Land, landscaping, and parking, which, which is probably not what I would have chosen, but it's what, it's what Ken Callahan chose, and there's, you know, there's some connections that we'll make uh, when we get there. Uh, but let's just jump right in uh, then with Acts chapter 15. We'll start with this. Uh, I need to give you some background to this because it's this brief letter uh, and it's not really clear from the little reading, the snippet that we have, uh, what this letter is about or, or why it's being sent or even from whom. Uh, so it's a brief letter that's being sent from the leaders of the mother church in Jerusalem. Uh, and this is being sent to the members of churches in what is today parts of Syria and Turkey. And it's especially being sent to those members of those churches who are not of Jewish origin. And so to understand this letter, let me fill you a bit in about the background. And it's all earlier in Acts chapter 15, if you wanted to go back and look at it on your own. So this is now probably some 15 to 20 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. 
And Christianity at this point, it's still primarily a movement within Judaism. Uh, However, due to the work of apostles and evangelists like Peter and Paul and Barnabas, more and more Gentiles, non-Jews, are coming to believe in Jesus. And so the question arises for the early church, do Gentiles have to become Jews in order to follow Jesus? Should the entire law of Moses, including food and clothing restrictions and the commandment that males be circumcised, should all of this be required for full membership in the Christian church? Well, at some point, some of the Jewish believers in Jerusalem began sending out teachers uh, to the churches in other parts of the Roman Empire, and these teachers were teaching that males needed to be circumcised before they could become Christian. And of course, this creates a problem for the Gentile believers, because on the one hand, they have teachers like Paul and Barnabas who are arguing that it is not conformity to the law that brings salvation, but rather faith in Jesus Christ apart from the law. But on the other hand, these teachers have come from Jerusalem. They're coming from the mother church, and they are claiming that without circumcision, there is no salvation for the Gentiles. Well, this is troubling for those Gentile believers. There's a lot at stake here. Uh, To make a modern comparison that some of you may have experienced, it's sort of like if someone from a Baptist or an evangelical background uh, came and told you that your baptism didn't count because you were too young to understand or because you weren't fully immersed or, or some other reason. And even though this is different from what you've been taught, you or they might be able to reason and, and quote scripture very convincingly. And they might cause you to doubt whether God's promise to you really happened to you as you believe. And that would be troubling indeed. So as you can imagine, these Gentile believers in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, uh, modern day Turkey, uh, were highly motivated to learn the truth. And so the leaders of these churches, they sent a delegation, which included Paul and Barnabas. They sent this delegation to Jerusalem, where the leaders of the early church were gathered, and they deliberated together to come to an agreement about just what the Holy Spirit was up to. So finally, after much debate, they agree that there is no reason to require circumcision or the whole law of Moses And instead, they send this letter, this letter which is our reading today, uh, and they merely ask the Gentiles to refrain from certain things, things that would be especially offensive uh, from a Jewish perspective, especially, uh, supporting the idol worship uh, through the purchasing of meat that had been sacrificed to idols in these Greek cities, Uh, avoiding uh, meat that had the blood still in it, so meat that had been strangled, animals that had been strangled, or or meat that had not had the blood properly removed, Uh, and then also to conduct themselves with sexual integrity. And we could talk a lot about these decisions and these discussions, and there's a lot of interesting things here, but for our purposes today, I really want to just focus on one line in the letter, and it's this. It's in verse 28. It's near the end, and it begins, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Something about their decision-making process has enabled them to say with confidence 
that not only do they think it's a good decision, but they also believe it is the decision the Holy Spirit has led them to. So with that in mind, I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to ask this question or consider this question. When we in this church are faced with a controversial decision, whether it's a big one or a little one, what needs to happen so that we can firmly say it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us? Or in other words, another way of asking that, how might we know we are following the Spirit's lead? All right, it's a big question, but I'm going to have you turn to each other and we'll take a few minutes to discuss that. Let's go ahead and bring it back together. What sorts of things came up in your conversations? Yeah, so that the discussion is, is preceded by prayer. Yeah, and followed by prayer. Really, we could say uh, immersed in prayer, maybe. Yeah, good. What else? Disagreement. Say, can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah. So even though you may not come to a unanimous decision, and in this, the, everybody was able to sign on to this letter in our reading, but even though you may not be able to come to a unanimous decision, there may be times when uh, they are still spirit-led decisions, even though they're not unanimous. So unanimous and spirit-led don't necessarily mean the same thing. Good. Yeah. Ah, so there's a feeling of comfort with the decision and peace. Okay, so there's a... Could you say, a, 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 what would I say, like a conviction that you're on the right track, that you've made a good decision? Does that sound about right? Ah, so when you go to sleep, it's done, and you can, you can let it go. That's good. What else? Ah, it takes time. It takes time. It's not an instantaneous thing. It's not usually. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Did anybody in their conversations feel like it would be really hard to think, boy, to say the Holy Spirit is really leading us this that's a hard claim to make yeah i see a hand back there yeah i see a couple other nods no hands but a few other nods yeah yeah it's 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 a bold claim to make it seemed good to the holy spirit and to us to do this yeah craig we may not always make the right decision, ah but we should yeah so we may not it may we may not always make the right decision um so our decisions are flexible we can reflect on them later this is actually an example of that most of the things that they write in that letter we do not hold to currently right uh we we don't we don't uh take too much concern about the amount of blood in our meat for example uh we don't uh meat sacrifice to idols isn't really an issue anymore uh but even in the new testament paul and corinthians gives different advice than we find in this letter here in Acts chapter 15. So even then, there was still some disagreement and we could say development, uh, even on this decision at this point. Lois? Ah, okay. So some point along the line with prayer, you have to agree to disagree, you said. Uh, So sort of a... um, It's a compromise, yeah. Part of living together is sometimes making decisions that not everybody thinks is 100%, but we're for the sake of the group we'll go with. Yeah, good. All right, well, let's get to part two then. Part two, with these uh, wonderfully paired reading and key here, land, landscaping, and parking. I don't know if the little children had to park, but uh, when they came to Jesus. Anyways, our, well, our second key, it's one that we have, uh, we've discussed already quite a bit, really, uh, in the context of a couple of the other keys, high visibility and open accessibility. We've talked a lot about our exterior, our front especially. Um, and this text, does seem strange, as I mentioned, uh, but uh, well, let's let's just go into it. So the disciples, 
as grown-ups tend to be, um, they're very focused on important business. Uh, They want to protect Jesus from being distracted by what they think are unimportant decisions or interruptions. Uh, But Jesus responds to them with anger because he says the kingdom of God belongs especially to ones like these, ones whom the world sees as unimportant. Those who are young or perhaps immature or of little social standing, uh, those who do not seem to us to have value to add. So, again, as I am asking, you might be asking, uh, what does this have to do with land, landscaping, and parking? That's a good question. Uh, Maybe it's this. Maybe it's this. A bit of a stretch, but maybe it's this. For us as a congregation, uh, thinking us particularly, I don't think it's so much that we don't value children. I don't think that's our problem. Um, As the father of two young girls who are just up here, I know that we do value children. Of course, there's more we could do there, but the problem isn't one of valuing, I don't think. Rather, where I see perhaps a connection here with this key and this text for us, it's that we tend to look at our land and our building through the eyes of insiders, with insiders' eyes, rather than the eyes of outsiders, those who are not here. It's easy for us to consider our parking, our building, our land, and how they serve our needs, the needs of those people who are here now, without considering the needs of those who are not here, but who could be. And so we don't realize, for example, how intimidating it is for a stranger to pull open those big, red, opaque doors, not knowing what lies on the other side, for example. Or how uncomfortable it is to look for parking, not knowing what side of the building to go to, uh, or whether it's okay to park on the street, or the discomfort of having to ask, where is the sanctuary? Where are the bathrooms? These sorts of of questions. So it's very natural, of course, but we tend to value those who are here, right? Those who are committed. And we tend to overlook those who are not here those whose gifts are as of yet undiscovered. Without meaning to, we put up barriers that make it harder for strangers to come and visit us. So our focus today with this key is especially on our physical exterior and how it welcomes, or perhaps does not welcome, those who are not already here. And especially those who are strangers, who aren't friends or family of the congregation, those who have no existing connection with us. And so I'm going to have you turn to each other one more time, and this is the question uh, I want you to discuss. What are some problems or barriers that strangers or visitors face when they decide to attend our church? Go ahead and take a few minutes to discuss that with one another. Let's go ahead and bring it back together. What are some of the uh, problems or barriers that came up in your uh, conversation? Just go ahead and shout them out. Yeah. Lack of, lack of parking lot signage. Yes. I see a, a few yeses around here. Yes. Good. What else? Pebbles in the parking lot. So they're just that it's a gravel lot? Yeah. Yeah. So the gravel is hard to traverse for someone who has mobility um, difficulties or challenges. Yeah. Yeah. What else? Right. So, so, right, so solutions for that would be maybe, yeah, maybe different, a different kind of gravel or paving. Yeah, sure. What are some other problems or barriers before we get into solutions, though? So, Lois, yeah. 
Ah, curbing is going to be hard for a wheelchair, okay? Yeah, so there are other solutions. I want to stick with problems before we get into solutions because we'll be here all day if we start talking about solutions. But these are good to be thinking of. Yeah, good. Thank you. Yeah, so making wheelchair accessible on the curbing. Yeah, I saw uh, Linda. Ah. So signage inside the building, pointing out, or outside the building. Oh, sure. Yep. Okay, so signage uh, on our street facing, saying this is our fellowship hall, this is who we are, and also our main entrance is over there. Uh, those sorts of things are helpful to have. Good. What else? There's some care that can be done with the fountain, and, uh, and, and the fountain is often clogging. I know that that's been a perpetual uh, uh, challenge that Galen, who has been very faithful to, to work on that, has been working on. Yes. Ah, yeah. So the slope, uh, which for someone who's 31, like me, doesn't seem like much, uh, is, is significant, a significant slope with no handrail, no, no, uh, no, nothing to grab onto at all. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a barrier, yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's a, uh, maybe it's just, it's not very, you said mundane. The, the front, the outside is somewhat mundane. Yeah. I would say it's not noticeable. Does that sound about right? Yeah. It's easy to overlook. Yeah. Yeah. So the front, the, the face of the church, um, the outside, the front is, is a bit mundane. We have this beautiful stained glass inside, but the outside doesn't uh, draw people into it as much. Yeah. It's very hard to see into the building from outside the building. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's hard to see into what you're coming into. And as a new person, it's a little, it's intimidating to go into a building you haven't been in before uh, and just being able to see a little bit. Are there people on the other side of this door? Is it a closet? What's, what's over here? I, you know, you know, without knowing. Uh, Lois, I think that'll be our last one. So front door, the front doors themselves are a barrier. Yeah. The whole entry could be way more welcoming. Yeah. So it feels closed in. You said secluded and you're not sure if you're welcome. Is, yeah. Do, am I actually supposed to be here or not? Right. That's the, the question that's asked. Good. Good. Uh, good noticing these things. Again, uh, I, I said this last week too, but um, I commend you for paying attention to problems. It's, lo- it's often easy to move to solutions really quickly or s- say, this is where, you know, we're, but we're good at this part, which is true. But uh, it's good to notice these things uh, so that we can address them because I think God is gifting us to be able to address these things. I did say one more two ago, Dave, but yeah, you can go ahead. Yeah, so there's some solutions that could be pursued with the, with the city that would be simple, yeah. Again, I want to stick to problems just because solutions will go on. We can discuss solutions all day, um, but uh, be thinking about these and be talking about these. We do want solutions. Um, We just need to limit ourselves right now uh, to thinking about this. Uh, I'm going to close us with prayer. Gracious God, uh, I thank you for welcoming us. I thank you for bringing us in, uh, for leading us to you. Um, I ask that you would help us take those steps that interfere with those coming, with others who are uh, desiring or need or are being drawn by you. Uh, move us out to invite people. Move us to be more welcoming in our, in our persons and in our building and in our uh, landscaping and our signage and wherever else uh, you lead us to notice. Um, I thank you again for the strength that you've given us, and I ask for the continued energy and boldness to act on that strength. We ask uh, for this and everything else you see that we need in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen.